0: Hello and welcome to episode number 270 of the Ormond Show podcast, where everything can happen and all things do. On this episode, we have Dr. Daria Pino-Rose, neuroscience, PhD, creator of Foodist, creator of Summer Tomato. What a cool name. Welcome (laughs) to the show.
1: Thank you. It's wonderful to be here. I haven't done a podcast in so long. It's like, wow. (laughs) Wow.
0: This is the wow factor. We bring the wow factor out here. This is the one when you haven't done a podcast in a while, this is the one you want to be on. And actually, if you've done one in a while, this is also the one you want to be on. Now, you're situated in Portland currently. You've been situated in multiple places. Uh, how have these places brought life to you differently than you have been in Portland, New York, San Francisco?
1: Well, there's a lot of factors i think for me the, one of the biggest ones is always food uh, i am really now that i've i'm older and i'm more traveled i realize how lucky and spoiled i've been to grow up in california and then to spend so much time in the bay area where i just i just think the food is just so stunning you know the farmers markets the farms the and the chefs there too i mean the good ingredients attract attract the good talent and so we just had the most amazing food the food in new york is Pretty good, uh, but I only stayed there two years. Oh. And um, uh, but the ingredients are also great here in Oregon, and there's a lot of a lot of talent too. I don't think it's quite SF level uh, yet, but I think it's well on its way. And I, I love eating here, and I and I, I do love eating in all those other cities as well.
0: This is a wonderful thing. Food is a big focus. Before we get to food, though, which is very important and something that most people could manage way better than they probably currently do, you have originally studied neuroscience. What led you into that category in the first place? Why did you want to seek out the mind or understanding of it? Uh,
1: Well, early on, I I always just thought human behavior was very interesting. I actually started out in school as a psychology major and then kind of like dabbled in a, a literature major for a while and then ultimately stumbled into a neuroscience class, which I just absolutely fell in love with. I thought it was the coolest thing ever. So I think the thread between all those interests is, is human behavior. And, but I'm also, I am a very, you know, logical, scientific type of person. It's just like, if you look at my Myers-Briggs, and like INTJ. I am an, an INTJ. Yeah.
0: I am an ENTP.
1: <laughs> nice. Um, anyway, so I just, I really, what I really brought me to science was the fact that you can isolate variables, figure out, like use your logic and, come come up with answers
0: have you always identified heavily with that do you focus on things seriously for hours at a time are you a full intj uh, i
1: well before i had kids i did <laughs> now it's just not so much but i i find that that when i when i say i'm an intj what i'm trying to to tell people is that i i just I, i'm very very logical and it makes me happy to be logical i don't I'm not a very emotional person at all so when I when I feel something I definitely feel it but I don't react to my feelings very strongly I sit on them and then I think about them and decide how to react so and that just is a natural a natural I'll I'll call it a gift uh, since it you know it it has been a hindrance at some points in my life but I think for the most part it aids in a a scientific thinking so and, and yeah because I'm an introvert I I tend to spend a lot
0: of time alone doing that stuff by myself. So yeah, for sure. That makes sense. I've always meshed with ENTPs and INTJs uh, mesh pretty well. Also INFJs is a good meshing of sorts. And I'm like the reaching out like maniacal, but scientific. And then you're more like, <laughs> let's focus, get the thing done. And more like strategic, I guess, which is nice. I noticed that in your description of your time frame as far as food and exercise and your life path, It's very, I figured out this, then I moved on to this, then I did this, then I managed this, then I figured out this.
1: Exactly. My life is one big scientific experiment. It's like, boom, (laughs) which is
0: great because then you get somewhere. That's the one thing I identify with heavily, getting somewhere. That's cool. Now, before we go into food, but it's related to food, what is Summer Tomato?
1: Summer Tomato is my website that I launched when I was still in graduate school at UCSF. And I did because another like you were saying, another part of my life that I was trying to figure out was my health and fitness in addition to my career path. And I'm the person who reads everything I can find on a subject and starts testing um, myself. And I literally did every diet. I grew up in Southern California during the Baywatch era. My mom was a chronic dieter. I was doing like slim fast and, and fat-free, low fat, non-fat, you know, early on I was, you know, 10, 11 years old, which is insane. <laughs> but I sort of got on that path young, stayed on it for a long time. It was a constant source of struggle and stress for me. And by the time I actually had some proper scientific training, I realized that I was not approaching my health the way I would approach anything else. I was I was doing it very stupidly, <laughs> just kind of reading popular stuff and following the trends. And I decided I made mean, a conscious decision to like stop doing that, go read science and figure it out the right way. And that led me to a lot of research that showed me I should abandon all diets completely, which by the way is terrifying if you've spent your entire life dieting. <laughs> but uh instead focus on small habits, little habits based around health. I mean, I still focused on health. I wanted to eat healthy, but without without the weight loss goal. Still very very scary, but as the data would have predicted, but as it was a complete shock to me that it worked, I was eating way more than I had in the past because I, I was one of the people that would eat like 800, 1,000, 1,200 calories a day and still feel like I wasn't eating. I felt like I was eating too much. I was eating like double that and losing weight. I lost. I didn't lose it fast. It came off slow, but I was shocked. I didn't gain weight <laughs> with how much I was eating. Right. And I just, um, and I was eating carbs, which I hadn't touched in years at that point. And so I just, when this happened to me, it was so mind blowing. Cause I just, it just was so simple, but like, so contrary to all the evidence or all, not all the evidence, but all the popular thought on what to do to, to lose weight that I felt like I had to tell people, I felt like I had to tell people that you don't have to do all this crazy stuff. You don't have to torture yourself. You can eat food that tastes delicious and eat three meals a day and work out like a normal person and not a crazy person and lose weight, feel better than you ever have, sleep better than you ever have, look better than you ever have. Like my hair started growing back. Like it was just like amazing. So I launched a blog. Yeah. So I launched a blog and then it kind of took off. And back then, I mean, this is all really normal messages I think now but back in 2008 2009 when I started this stuff nobody was talking like that Uh, at least not in the weight loss space people were talking about that in the health space like the doctors and stuff but like that's not what people like me were reading that's not what young girls were reading so I just wanted to bring this information to the young girls who were getting the wrong information
0: Mm -hmm. it's like you see yourself from the past and you tell yourself that thing
1: yeah, I always I always joke that my, my book, uh, Foodist, and my blog, Summer Tomato, are basically like long letters to my past self.
0: This is the best thing we can make. <laughs> yeah. Like, if this was there when I was there, then I would have been... That would have not, saved me decades. <laughs> right. That's our contribution on this planet. One. So people always like to look at the simpler things. So I, it's not my style to go simpler. I like to more, go more complex for no reason. Well, for a reason, but what would you point out as some of the simple things that people can do in the categories of food and or health maintenance that you have acquired
1: yeah so it sounds simple but probably the hardest thing to do is like i said drop the the dieting mentality it that means stop focusing on weight loss focus on feeling healthy and lo- and eating healthy and doing things to promote health it means stop obsessing it means uh you drop a scarcity mindset because what happens is you are always starving or you're always missing something you're missing some nutrient because you're cutting something big out of your out of your diet and that it really especially if you've done it for years it really creates a scarcity mindset around food and so people binge so when they do get to food even even if it's not like a proper binge like that would be a clinical let's say binge you're overeating and you eat fast, you don't taste it, you don't enjoy it, dropping dieting makes all that stuff go away. And then you can do what's the second simple thing, which is focus on just real food. So when I say real food, I mean food that hasn't been processed into oblivion. And by the way, this can be both unhealthy food like Pop-Tarts or healthy food like protein shakes. Stop it. Just stop it. Just Let stop it go. It, you don't Seriously. need it. It makes it worse. It doesn't make it better. It makes it worse. It doesn't make it better. I can't say this enough. I used to be I used to eat nothing but processed food because it was like bars and shakes and chips like any anything that like said it was high protein, low fat, like all that stuff. Stop eating it. Yeah. Eat, go to the farmers market, buy veg, spend extra money on vegetables and fruit that taste better and stop buying all that crap. Um, it sounds so simple, but it's, it works.
0: Some of those products you mentioned, the bars, they look like they are better than the actual foods that they were put in them as part of them. And then combined with some sort of like molasses or dextrose or whatever it might be. But how is that possible? Would, yeah, they're,
1: they're not good for you.
0: <laughs> we wouldn't eat those things separately. That's one way I think about it. Like if, if I gave you a bunch of, you wouldn't butter. eat a bunch of dextrose. Yeah. <laughs> I just want you to know I would not eat a bunch of dextrose. I just want you to know that. Um, somebody out there likes it. Like, oh, I love lard. <laughs> now, which not most people do. What are... I love lard. <laughs> you don't, do you? Have, you, have you had lard by itself?
1: I don't need a plate. No, it's an ingredient.
0: Oh, yeah. cool. I've not used lard in anything. I've used like usually olive oil or butter.
1: Those are good too. Yeah.
0: <laughs> now, what uh, got you most inclined in this category very early on? You said 11 years old. Fast, uh, and related to that, like at what age were you like, I really care about food and how I'm
1: uh, like how when I my chose my career
0: career type. or yeah, this category, like why the inkling towards this versus like something else.
1: Yeah. Again, I think I got really lucky by being in the Bay area. So I, I don't, I don't think I've told this story before. Maybe I have. Um, we all want to
0: hear it. Everybody wants to. Hear it.
1: <laughs> I was in college and I was graduating uh, from UC Berkeley and a friend of mine happened to work at a very fancy restaurant in San Francisco that I had never heard of. And, you know, when you're 23 or however old, old I was when I was graduating, you think you've had good food before. And so maybe some people have, but I hadn't. I didn't know that I had never been to a truly fine dining place. And so I was moderately excited to go to this dinner that she invited me to, but I had no idea what I was in for. And when we sat down and the food started coming, I was just like, like, I did not know food could taste like this. And it got me incredibly, well, I started going there all the time (laughs) to that restaurant and then quickly realized that I could not afford to do that anymore. Um, And then I just realized that, I, you know, I started reading more about the food scene in, in the Bay Area, which is incredibly special. And it was largely spearheaded by a woman named Alice Waters, who kind of started that farm to table movement in the United States. She has farms, you know, she pulls stuff fresh out of the garden and serves it to you, beautiful. And it's all based on the quality of the ingredients and that was something you know that's at the time especially was pretty unique to the bay area and i got exposed to that and it just dovetailed so nicely with what i was reading in the scientific literature about how i needed to eat real food i was like oh i should stop eating zone bars and start eating like this i've never seen broccoli look like this in my life it's like soft and like almost like has this like white glowing haze of, of health <laughs> like look, like, and it tastes different than any broccoli I've ever. It's like sweet and it's not bitter and it's not stringy. And I just, you know, so those two things really came together for me at that time around 2004, 2003 through five. Mm-hmm. And it just made perfect sense at the time. I just, my two worlds collided and completely changed my life in terms of my quality of life, especially just not only was I not gaining weight and losing weight for easily for the first time in my life, I discovered I liked food. You know, I mean, if you grew up eating slim fast and zone bars, like your palate is like in a really sad place, but all of a sudden I was tasting a true cherry, a true tomato, a true peach, true lettuce. I mean, this stuff should be delicious. And it finally, for the first time in my life, it was. And so I actually got really excited about it. And this is, I think, is a, is a key factor that I, I realized later, is what happened was always in my life, I was choosing my foods based on external motivations. So I want low carbs, I want high protein, I want whatever, 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 all, all the, whatever diet I happen to be on. And it was basically a form of torture, right? Because that's like, you know, every single thing you're choosing is willpower. You're not like, oh, I would love to eat this zone bar right now. It's no. not for you. No, you're, you're, and I had completely given up that part of my life. I would love to eat something. That's like not how I chose food all of a sudden I was choosing what I wanted to eat again, based on flavor and experience and health like those, that was kind of secondary. And I switched from this external or like extrinsic motivation to an intrinsic motivation. And I think that's the real key to forming new habits, because if you are not internally rewarded in, internally motivated and have a, a natural reward that comes with doing the activity, it's not a real habit and all habits need a reward. That's one of the, one of the tenants of forming a habit. And really at the end of the day, what happened was I loved all this new stuff so much. I formed a bunch of amazing healthy habits. And so it never, ever again felt like I was dieting. But if, you know, if you looked at me from the outside, if somebody just coming in, like a doctor was like doing analysis of different people's eating habits, they would look at me and they would say, I ate amazingly healthy and that all these other people should eat like me and that they should force themselves to eat like me. But the reason I can do it and not fail is because I freaking love it so much. And, and I built these habits up slowly over time through this love of food. And I think that's the most important part that people lack when they're trying to change their, their lifestyle and change their habits. Because it, you know it's easy to say, oh, it's a new lifestyle. It's not a diet. Well, okay, whatever. But if they're not true habits, then it's not a true lifestyle. Um, and it's, only, it's not a true lifestyle. And it's not a true habit unless you actually enjoy it. Right. So if you're still using willpower, at some point you're going to stop doing it and binge on something you truly want. I truly want the salad because they're so stinking good. I mean, I want the dessert too, but it's just way, it has way less of a pull on me than it used to because I like the other food just as much.
0: I'm with you on that. I'm known for my super salads, by the way. Just want to add that mm. there they have just to let's point out the ingredients here: lettuce, tomatoes, cucumber, avocado, corn from a can. Black olives from a can, but still good. Diced tomato, lemon juice, olive oil, salt, pepper. And lately I grind, uh, you know, blend ginger, mint. Mm. Boom. Just Lovely. saying.
1: Yes. Sounds like a good summer salad.
0: They are fabulous. Yes, they are fabulous. That's a good point. I like the concepts you bring up. The funny thing is we can pick different categories in life that we go for, but the same principles are underneath what? Is good in those. So, for example, the scarcity mindset fails in whatever category you apply it to. And then the external motivations thing you just mentioned is very key to me because it's like a, a ship with a hole in it. You just keep pouring and it pours out because it's not for you. So it's you have to put in more energy than it builds. You can't have a exactly. cup that runs over. Exactly. You want to have your cup run over, and you can only do that when it's your thing that you like.
1: Right. Well, the well springs within. <laughs>
0: The water is just across the planet, the ocean. Now, but how did I get to? Well, how'd you get to the first Slim Fast bars or Zone bars? Like, that was just right from the beginning, was like, these would be good to eat. Oh,
1: that was my mom's fault. (laughs) (laughs) Well, so think about it. Like, I'm 11, right? That's like sixth grade. Right. And
0: you just go with what's there.
1: Well, I go, I walk in the kitchen. My mom's making a milkshake for breakfast. I'm like, wait, what? Can I have some? Like, I mean, it, it didn't register that it tasted like crap at the time. Like, I, I mean, it does; it tastes bad. But you know, it was more interesting than the normal cereal I would eat or whatever. So I just, I just didn't even think about it. My mom and her my brains like, well, you're the age; you should start watching your weight. You know, she wasn't; she didn't say that to me, and I wasn't overweight by any stretch of the imagination. But she just, she didn't see a problem with letting an 11 year old start a diet or like start eating diet foods because she did it all the time and she grew up that way. So. It was just bad luck, and then by the time like I turned like thirteen or whatever, I started becoming very aware of my body, you know, as all thirteen year olds do, and so I just stuck with it, like that was what I knew. It was just sad This whole generation, okay, boomers, way to screw up your kids
0: <laughs> there is some validity there there were there was a good chunk of things that the older generation, if they were just like let's talk together and figure out what might work better for both of us. Those would all be gone, but that, that never happened. It was more like, this is what I know here. And then we have our scenarios later on. And I've spoken about this before. What do you think about this idea that the things we most are impacted by in our first 10 years, let's say 15 years of life, we take that for like, that's, that becomes like 80% of our story going forward.
1: Oh uh, yeah, I think I think ten. Um that's when you construct your worldviews. And it's very difficult to change them. They're always kind of like I mean, you can tweak them, but it's it's it takes a lot of therapy, <laughs> you know, to get to get through stuff like that. So yeah, it's um really key, those those early years when you form your worldview and that's it's really I think about that a lot as I raise my kids. You know, the things you say, the subtle things that you imply with what you say, it creates their worldview.
0: Mm-hmm. I was supposed to say, wait here, interesting one. You had mentioned your children, which are, I, by the way, I looked up, they're cute, cute as heck. just saying. Thanks, so, they're very cute. i have got a green thing or like a pumpkin. I thought I was like, oh, come on.
1: I call one of them pumpkin.
0: <laughs> Makes sense. Now, one thing I checked because, so I've interviewed some individuals that are like, um, other scientists as well. And one was uh, David Sinclair. And when I looked him up, also someone who is notable, your compatriot, Kevin Rose, has also interviewed him on his show. He talked about anti-aging. Have you thought about the anti-aging category? How much do you think food and health contributes to aging? Have you seen people that have been uh, sped up in their aging process because of bad habits?
1: Absolutely. So, great question. I actually studied aging as well, and it's a, it's a topic that is incredibly interesting to me. When I was an undergraduate at Berkeley, I studied uh, neurodegenerative diseases in the aging population, um, and I tried to get into it at UCSF, but it just didn't work out. <laughs> but um, I, uh, yeah, no, I love that. I've I've read a lot of Sinclair's work uh, and and others. I love Dr. Rhonda Patrick's podcast, Found My Fitness. She does she covers anti aging stuff wonderfully. Um, I, there is no question that food and exercise habits are the single biggest thing you can do to impact how you age. Um, your body is designed to have a huge variety of micro and macronutrients. It's designed to experience different stressors and it's, that's what exercise is. Um, also sauna, you know, there's a lot of different, uh, things that, make your body stronger by, by testing. It's, you know, you don't want to be too comfortable ever, but, um, but generally just eating a wide variety of unprocessed foods in peak season, you're going to be hitting all those anti-aging macro, micronutrients, right? So that's what I focus on more now is micronutrients rather than the macronutrients I was focused on when I was dieting. And It's, um, and it's wonderful and they taste delicious and they're supposed to like, you know, it's funny is the more I learned about this stuff, the more I realized that, for example, uh, tomatoes are healthy, but they're even more healthy when they're cooked with olive oil and maybe a little garlic, Mm -hmm. um, because that, because it, it makes certain nutrients and they're more bioavailable. So, um, yeah, when you look at populations that have continued to eat in traditional ways, they are some of the longest lived people on earth. And um, yeah. And on the flip side, if you look at just the Americans are the standard bearer for the processed food Mm -hmm. (laughs) crap that's Mm -hmm. happened and our life expectancy is declining for the first time, you know, after four decades, five decades of eating this way. So, and you can see it, you can see it. There's actually biological markers of aging. And you can like Mm -hmm. look at somebody's blood and, and, and get readouts of, how you're aging and um it's absolutely oh. correlated with with food.
0: Horvath clock. Mm-hmm. Exactly.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah. No. Um yeah, my my uh I've had two doctors now uh, tell me that they're the hel- I'm the healthiest person they've ever seen. Just <laughs> like crazy. I'm 41. Yeah you know? I'm gonna be forty one soon. So
0: one that's disturbing and you're cheating the system and that's not right. <laughs> <laughs> two how reliable can doctors be about that kind of information as far as health joke? Okay. I'm pulling out a joke here. Okay. That makes sense. So that's good habits and it's up to the people who have the good habits to relay them if applicable, because that's what you want to proliferate, not consumer packaged goods, for example, through some company.
1: Yeah. Sleep well, people ignore their circadian rhythms, you know, go to bed every night at the same time, eat every day at the same time, try to work out at the same time. Um, yeah. And have good social contacts. That's a good, important one for aging, strong social bonding.
0: That is key. Speaking of circadian rhythms, has there ever been a time when you took some sort of short midday nap regularly or no? Uh,
1: not in my life, um, except for like a little bit when I was immediately postpartum, you know, <laughs> but, um, but no, I'm not, a, I'm not that much of a napper. I, I'm not the type of person that needs a ton of sleep. I'm trying to get better at forcing myself to sleep more because I do really okay with um, less sleep. Like, unlike, like my husband is just a disaster if he doesn't get his full like eight or nine hours of sleep. I'm I'm pretty fine on six, as long as I've had enough sleep up until then. But I know I, I do have a, a slight mutation a, a SMP for uh, dementia. So I, I have to be very careful for Alzheimer's disease specifically. So I have to be very careful with my sleep because that's going to be one of the ways I'm going to prevent that from happening. So an exercise and eating well. So, you know, I know that about myself. I'm, it doesn't freak me out. It just means I, I, I've used that information and try to engineer my sleep to be a little bit more solid than it has been for a lot of my life.
0: Mm-hmm. I want all the listeners to know she has a single nucleotide polymorphism. If they mm-hmm. didn't know, now they have a sense of that. Which the a- I have
1: ApoE4. I have one allele. Oh my gosh! Yeah, who would have thought? Yeah, it's not that uncommon, and and it's you know it's not a guaranteed diagnosis of Alzheimer's disease, but it just increases my risk by like thirty percent or something. So it's just something I want to be aware of when I'm making choices about my daily habits.
0: It is good. The more we know, the people who run away from knowing more get impacted by that very quickly. The people who don't run away from it at first, you're like, oh no, I know it but then you can adjust things. You're glad you know it. The more you know oh, the yeah. better.
1: Well, and I'm not, like I said, I'm the type of person that I don't, I don't have strong emotional reactions. I just, I want to know what to do. That's right. always my goal.
0: She makes moves. Now, one thing that came mind, you said micronutrients earlier. What are some micronutrients that people might want to focus on?
1: See, that's the, that's the problem. <laughs> you don't really want to focus on micronutrients. Um, you want to get as many as you can yes. from as many different sources as you can. And the reality is we don't know them all. So if you, you know, there'll be a study that says something cool about sulforaphane and that's great. But like, did you, did you already not know that you're supposed to eat green leafy vegetables, which is what it's in. So eat green leafy vegetables, eat root vegetables, eat fresh fruit, eat cooked food, uh, you know, all over the place. Eat in season.
0: The season, the seasonality is a big one or else you're like forcing something out of its time. eat,
1: Eat organ meats. You know, eat good quality stuff, low pesticides, um, you know, low hormones, if, if it's an animal stuff like that, you're going to get all the different micronutrients and, you know, if your animal, if the animals are eating or the milk you're consuming, if those animals are eating more micronutrients, if they're eating their natural diet of grass and bugs and whatever they're supposed to be eating, they're going to be healthier. So that meat or dairy will be healthier too, those eggs, whatever. And, um, you know, just think this way, think holistically, think in terms of like how can I like get maximum um, take the maximum amount of, of nutrients from my food and and the same thing with like heirloom organic vegetables from a farm who really cares versus a farm that grows the exact same thing in like thousands and thousands and thousands of acres of it um all year round type of thing like you're just gonna get a a more dense flavorful too <laughs> um food from the from the more Uh, from the the cared for and more biodynamic environment than in the the monoculture and then in the industrial food culture.
0: I had spoken with one, uh, John Marsleff in Washington, and he talked about the importance of the farms, taking it uh, straight to yourself. Farmers markets are key. Another person I talked to, farmers markets is a big thing, and like your local produce, you connect with your community. It's not that that's complex. another benefit
1: yeah that's another benefit but but generally if you if you 're generally thinking about i mean they they 've shown that in studies that you know this, the quality of the soil has a huge impact on the ultimate nutrient uh, capacity of the food you're eating, similarly, you know a varietal of food that was bred to taste good um, is going to have a more diverse nutrient profile than one that was designed to survive all weather so that they could mass produce it so they could sell it mm-hmm. and it would survive in the truck for a week and get to the supermarket and sit on the shelf for a week. And then somebody can eat it. It's just, they're different. They're selecting for different traits and um, stuff that is more nutrient uh, dense and more nutrient varieties tends to decay more, <laughs> tends to tends to be more, a little bit more fragile once it's off the plant. Um, but but those are still the ones you want to eat. So you want to eat fresher. You want to eat heirloom varietals if you can. Um, and, and but a great and it, you know you don't have to be an expert on this stuff. A great marker is if it tastes good. If It has its own natural flavor and isn't just sweet or bland. You know, it should taste. There should be nuance there mm-hmm. in those flavors. And that you're, that's your your mouth tasting the macronut the micronutrients in there.
0: It should stand out in some form. Mm-hmm. That was the reason that evolved. When I look at when I go in the mountain and there's different plants, they have to be completely different because if they were similar, one would have out-competed the other one, but each one with their key differences has some super strength, or this one's the tall one, or this one has a certain smell. They stand out, yeah. Now, one thing that always comes to mind is I always think about content creation and what types of content or how have you put out content over, let's say, the past decade, like in text, audio, and video, and what do you see going forward?
1: <laughs> uh, the ultimate question. So, uh, I've written a lot. Uh, I've written—I don't even know how many. Probably at least a thousand articles on Summer Tomato, uh, my website. I've written articles for other publications, and I wrote a book. Um, I love writing, uh, but on some level, I'm a little bit over it. I—I I feel like I've said the same thing a lot, <laughs> and I don't know how many different ways I can say the same thing over and over again. Uh, so what has been interesting me for the last few years has been podcasts. It's also a little easier with, with my new lifestyle of having kids. Um, I just don't get the, <laughs> the, like, you need a, a big space and time of focus to get writing done. And I don't often have that anymore, but um, yeah, so I'm really focused on podcasts. I'm, I do plan on relaunching my own podcast. Eventually I just, every time I think I'm getting ahead on, getting my schedules worked out, pandemics hit and whatnot. So um, I just lose childcare. So without childcare, I can't do anything. But um, I'm, I'm getting there now. So I would love to get that up and running. And um, I might, I might have another book brewing.
0: We'll see. Oh, that's nifty. I've always been very text oriented as well. Many years ago, I had a blog like 2008, 9, 10. And uh, I like text, but that's cool. And podcasts are definitely more you can do them at a chunk versus like, uh the writing you need more blocks of like four or five hours
1: i also like talking to smart people you know it's one of the things i miss from leaving academics is you know i not that my kids aren't smart but you know we mostly talk about poop and stuff so (laughs) i'm just kind of over it right i want to talk about single nucleotide polymorphisms
0: (laughs) look let me tell you number one i have said that exact thing the same concept i like it very much and two I mean, if that's not a reason that, you know, in the future, you should also be on the show. I don't know what is. Okay. This is one of the top intelligence podcasts or has material that is cool. There's something to that. Frankly, I thought of that when you mentioned regions. I want to point this out because uh, San Francisco, uh, Portland, New York for its activity, and it has a business aspect to it, but still similarly are some of the more, there's a lot of thought going on. There's a lot of uh, intellectual discussion. And- Mm -hmm. There's something about that, having that in your environment, either locally or virtually somehow, I I find it very valuable.
1: It's very stimulating. Yeah. And I think it helps creativity.
0: Mm -hmm. Now, creativity is another category. Has your creativity branched out in any other categories that comes to mind as far as like musical or uh, poetry or sculpture or do any of these things jump out of your, that's not really your lane?
1: I used to be more interested in in things like that when I was younger. I used to dance, and I used to I used to be more interested in in creative writing. Um, but these days, I all like any extra energy, well, all, most of my energy goes to raising my children. They're just I, I, for people who don't know. I just had two kids really close together, so I was. Um, you know, your first one's just hard because you don't know what you're doing. And then six months later I was pregnant again. So um and then I had a toddler while I was pregnant that time. So I was just exhausted. And now I have two toddlers. Um one is two and a half and one is uh not quite one and a half. Um so we are just trying to like wrangle that right now. It's just a lot. They're not they're they're really good kids. They just they're just you know 12 hours a day, seven days a week. So it just takes up a lot of energy.
0: That makes sense. They are forming all these thoughts right now. Actually, one point I always like to check. They are very young, super young. Can you sense any qualities about their personality already as far as like... What they'll deviate more towards in the future? How early? (laughs) Well,
1: Zelda, um, my oldest, she's exactly like me. (laughs) She's just like she's exactly like me. Poor Kevin. (laughs) (laughs) Nova is like a stranger to me. So she is. um, She looks completely. She's blue-eyed, like blonde hair. It's really confusing. Kevin and I both have dark hair and eyes. Our parents, for the most part, had dark hair and eyes. My dad is the only one with blue eyes, and um, but. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. And um, she's very different from Zelda, but I mean, I don't, Kevin doesn't remember his childhood as vividly as I remember mine. So he can't say exactly if it's, he, she's like him, but he, I mean, I think he wants to believe that, but she's just very different. It's so cute. She's very sweet. <laughs> not, not like Zelda.
0: <laughs> One is, what are their names by the way?
1: Zelda and Nova.
0: These are super cool. Thank you. For- to two reasons, one, when I was reading your description, uh you liked Zelda as a the
1: video uh, game, yes yes, very much, yeah,
0: did you like Super Mario? because that was mine, I didn't really play Zelda
1: yeah, I played them I played them both, yeah, but okay. peach peach was a weird name
0: yes <laughs> did Nova nova reminded me of a different video game there was a character that had a Nova is it from a video game or
1: no it not for not for us we didn't, we came up with it randomly,
0: yeah. separately, that's wonderful. That's cool. So basically, Kevin has two of you in the household in some form.
1: Yeah, yeah. And we shall see what the third one
0: holds. (laughs) Slightly different. That's some cool stuff. I know there's certain ways I was when I was like 8, 10, 12, and then how I've shifted to now, but there were signs of me early on. It's cool to see that progression in life. It's something else. This is a wonderful thing. Now, a few closing thoughts I have in mind. One, if you were to have a podcast, would you have guests on, or would you be talking about... Uh, your content just yourself
1: well I would definitely have guests so um, historically I had people on my podcast that I was coaching mm-hmm. so they they would call me with a specific, I wanted a very specific issue that we could troubleshoot together on the show and that was really fun um, but I felt I kept getting like once I had a couple episodes that were really popular I People kept calling in with the same problem. Like basically everybody was binging at some point in their day and I was getting a little tired of troubleshooting the binging for people. So I went back to expert interviews and um, I I might, I might mix up the format a little bit um, moving forward, but I think I would stick mainly with expert interviews. I might do the coaching stuff a little bit. I might sprinkle those in, but I don't want to do that exclusively. I want to be a little more picky about, what kind of problems I have on the show. So it just doesn't get repetitive. Mm-hmm.
0: That makes me think about a programmer uh, or coders at some of the bigger companies for technology that if something is repeated too many times, they're like, we got to code this in there. Cause I don't want to repeat this over and over. We'll have the app. Yeah. Like carry. listen to
1: the old episodes. They're still up. That's the great thing about the internet. You, you can go read all my old articles and you can read my book and it's still all really good. <laughs> like it's all very evergreen. So check That's it really
0: out. Good point. Now that when you just said that, it reminded me of a Jay Z line where he was like, "You want the old me? Buy my old album. Like it's there. You've seen it."
1: Yeah, Jay Z uh, gets me.
0: He's solid, right? He gets me. <laughs> I like a lot of his quotes. I look at key ones and then they kind of life guiding principles. Here's what I will. I'm the smoothest at segues Now, life guiding principles. I always like to check in conclusion for this episode. Maybe not a future episode, but for this one, what is a message you have to all people or a guiding principle of your own that you would want to tell all the people of the planet?
1: Um, mainly I think to find your own. So what, you, everything I've read. So I've read a lot about happiness, behavior, how to, how to be the person you want to be. Right. Cause at the end of the day, that's really, if you're the person you want to be like, that's the deepest kind of fulfillment you can really ask for. And I've read a lot about this and, and this is just as true when it comes to finding your health or, you know, finding happiness in your life or in your career or whatever. And that is find your values and act in accordance with your values. So rather than have sort of strict rules about short-term goals, you know, act, you know, think deeply about what matters to you and why. And, and if you, if you don't, it's, this is not an easy ex- exercise, by the way. You kind of have to ask why seven or eight times to the answer to your question before you get to the true core of, of what's motivating you. Um, and, you know, and if you need help with this, there are lists of values you can find online. Um, and you know, find the ones that matter the most to you, the 10 or 12 values that you really care about and build habits in that direction. Um, and, and that's really where you need to, you know, whenever you get lost or whenever you're feeling like you don't know where to go or you're not making progress or you're still not happy, go back to your values and go, and go look at your behaviors and seeing if, see if they're acting, you're acting in accordance with your values. And if not, why not? What's stopping you? Um, and I find that once you can get to that core motivation, it's a lot easier to make a change if it really if you really are, are are intending to stick with your values, because it's a lot easier to do things you believe in than it is to force yourself to do things that you think you're supposed to do.
0: Mm-hmm. Way more effort expended when it's not for us. No effort when it's our thing and we're at an energy minimization minimum.
1: Right. It's also how you're going to get that intrinsic motivation that you need to form habits. You know, so if, if, because it it feels when you're doing that when you're acting a lot in accordance with your values it feels so much better you know and so that alone is a big source of the reward
0: right you're like reminding yourself the things i like they matter. like this
1: is who i want to be like i want to be the person who like cooks my own food you know i want to be or cooks for my kids or whatever you know or like is active every day outside or whatever it doesn't you know it doesn't need to be the same for me and you it just needs to be something you truly love and it, and it and it makes you feel like you're the best version of yourself
0: I'm with that just to throw that in for my listeners. One of mine is like doing things without concern for like how they're perceived, just rolling full force. It's nice. This is fabulous. I want to say for this first time of potentially many Dr. Daria, You know, Rose, I would like to thank you for having been on this episode of the show.
1: My pleasure. Thanks for having me, Armin.
0: You know it. And we are out.